Great to be here with you guys. First time uh, to Campbellsville in this area. It's great to be here. I um, I was just talking to Josh as it was time to come up here. That, uh, you know, I think he was saying the first day of class when I was the leader of the Bible school that they went to, and Josh was in the same class, was 9-11. That was our very first day of class. And uh, two days later, I got on an airplane. You know, they'd shut everything down, and my flight was to Lexington, Kentucky. I was speaking at, at a conference in Lexington or Georgetown. Is that close to somewhere in there? And uh, so I was thinking about 9-11 today <laughs> as I was flying into Lexington thinking it's been however long that's been, 12 years. And um, I just really, um, it's just been great to see these guys and uh, to see their kids. It's just amazing. Uh, time, time flies. And Brian, I know Brian, and I'm sure there are others that I, I may know here. But anyway, I, um, I'm excited to, to have a weekend like this with you guys and to talk about something that is uh, my favorite thing to talk about, really. And that's, we're going to talk about God. Is that okay? And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about me since you don't know me. Uh, to give you a little a very brief background, sometimes that helps give you a context for, for who people are. And so I'm, I'm this pretty average character from uh, out in the boonies. So when I come to like driving here, I like the feel because it's country and I can relate to that. I grew up in a community... Uh, our closest neighbor was a mile away from our house, up on the side of a mountain, and the closest town was three miles away, and it had 530 people and still does. And uh, like I, my high school was a public school, had 76 students in it, ninth through 12th, played eight-man football. Not enough guys for 11-man, so we played eight-man football. But it was a great growing up experience. My folks know the Lord. And so I grew up in a great environment of uh, church and, you know, seeking God. And I met the Lord when I was seven uh, in the garden with my dad on a Saturday morning, weeding, you know, out in the country, you work. You guys know about that, right? Um, sometimes I talk to people and they look at me like, what? What are you talking about? And as a kid, I was a kid. I mean, I'm, my first loan was when I was nine. I loaned, I, I brought $120 for a 10-speed bicycle, which was the stupidest bike to ever buy in the country. I don't know why I did that, but anyway, I worked it off through uh, bucking bales and changing pipe and um, weeding, a lot of weeding and tarring and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, you guys may understand some of that. That's, that was my growing up experience, was very, um, in some ways, a sheltered life in a, in a good way, I would say. And then I moved to the big city in Phoenix, Arizona, went to school there, got recruited by the government from there, and lived in Washington, D.C. for a while, lived overseas for a couple of years, and then moved back to D.C., got married, uh, moved to Charlotte, and uh, did a 180 from government work to ministry type of stuff, ended up uh, leading the Bible school where I met these guys, and then uh, planted a church as well as started a humanitarian organization in 2005. So that's a little bit of my background. I'm, I've got a beautiful wife. Her name is Debbie, and she's from Ohio. And she is, yeah, I, I say the best women come from Ohio, at least the best one. Um, and, and then we have five boys. 
we do not have the recipe for girls, and we quit trying. We quit cooking. So uh, our oldest is 17. He just had his last soccer game tonight of his high school career. He's a senior, and uh, they're in the state tournament. And I, if they won, if they had won tonight, they would have been in the championship for the state. They lost uh, just a little while ago. But that's my oldest, and then I've got a nine-year-old as my youngest, Andrew. And uh, we have half the Bible covered in, all, in, in their names, and all these boys. So anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's my little background. Um, but I want to veer from there and, and talk about, uh, I want to talk some about the Father tonight. And uh, we'll just see where the Holy Spirit leads us in this. But, you know, a loved person is unstoppable. And that is who we are supposed to be, are absolutely unstoppable people because of how much we're loved and how much we know we're loved, because we already are. But to know that you are, as Adam was saying, that's part of what this weekend is about, to know how much you're loved. And to not just know, my, know how much you're loved, but know how much you're liked. There's a difference in that as well. Uh, and, you know, as I've been pastoring for however many years not nearly as long as robin has but as i've been pastoring and meeting people in counseling people here's what i've you know one of the things i've identified is that most believers not unbelievers most believers aren't exactly sure about what the father thinks of them at every moment of the day oftentimes there's this know that the father is there he loves us he loved us enough to send jesus but jesus is there to kind of come in between the father's anger and uh his unhappiness with humanity and jesus is there saying don't kill him and don't burn him up and then here we have us and we have the holy spirit lives inside of us and he's gentle when actually that picture isn't exactly accurate there's a whole lot more to the father than than that And it's not that he is angry, though I I had a, uh, my experience growing up, I was probably in an unhealthy way afraid of God. I had some healthy fear of the Lord that we're supposed to have, but I also had some unhealthy fear of God. I remember a a, a moment where a guy said to me in church, Matt, and I was a kid, uh, feel like you've got a word to share. You've got something to share. And I was like, there is no way I'm sharing because if I share some sort of prophetic word and it is not God, I'm going to be looking for lightning bolts because God is, he, he does not mess around. And I didn't have a, I didn't have an understanding of what the father was, was really like. It was, it was skewed for me. And I think it's been skewed for a lot of people. And you know, this is a funny thing because probably you guys are going to mostly have a hold of this. This is kind of like Paul writing to the Corinthians who are already moving in the gifts of the Spirit saying, go for it even more. That's probably, I feel like that with you guys. You guys probably have a pretty good grasp of this already. But I believe the Lord wants to do something just even a deeper level in revealing what he's like. So the Holy Spirit revealing the Father to us so that you can have the kind of confidence that wherever you are at any time of the day, day or night, that you are confident in what your father, what your papa thinks about you so that you can live fully alive, all the way alive with no hesitation, 
with no lack of confidence. You know, if you lack confidence in an area, it affects the way that you live. It affects your faith. It affects the way that you speak. It affects whether you speak at all or the way that you act, the way that you love other people. If you're not confident, man, we're supposed to be the most confident people on the planet because of that great love that he has for us. With these five kids I have, I am, it would, well, let me say this. One of my favorite things about being a dad is coming home. Especially, you know, when they were real small, especially. I would walk in the door and there would be five missiles. And they would just pile into my legs. And I've got to say, now that they are 9 through 17, every time I come home, they still, they don't run at me like they used to. But they still, yeah, that would, that would hurt. They still embrace me. I don't, I've never said do that. It's not a, it's not a law, but from their heart, they still give me a hug every, every day as I come in the door. And I'm telling you what, they don't necessarily know how much I love that. They don't know that, but I am crazy about their hugs. But what if, you know, when I came home, they were insecure about how I really felt about them. If they felt, I just, I don't know what dad's like today. You just kind of have got to put your toe in the water and see what the temperature is with him. Because sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. If my kids were walking around on eggshells wondering, you know, I know this is the house that I get to live in, but I'm not sure if I can go in the fridge. My kids don't have a problem with that. I don't know about yours, but... Or I'm just, I don't know if he really likes me here. Or I wonder, I just don't know what he's feeling like today. You know, those kind of, if my kids had those kind of feelings and thoughts, my heart would be broken. I would think, no, what do you, why would you ever have the thought that I would be unhappy or not pleased with you today? That would be, to me, that would be an enemy as a dad for one of my kids or any of them to have a wondering, have a question in their spirit or in their mind of what does Papa, they call me Papa, what does Papa think of me today or any day? If they've got that question, oh my goodness, it, that would touch me. Think, and if that's the way I feel, how do you think our Father feels if we have any slight wondering of what does he think of me in this moment? I haven't read my Bible yet. Haven't prayed yet. Haven't I've had lousy thoughts. I can't think of the last time I read my Bible. All those things we can go, because I haven't done that, then maybe he feels this way toward me. You know, that's part of that fallen mindset that the enemy has used to keep the children of God from realizing who they really are and how much they're really loved so they can do what they are called to do. How do you think Jesus did it? I want to, there's a couple of passages I want to key on tonight and just uh, share. One of them is Mark chapter 1. If we could head that direction. When I read the Bible, what I like to do is to imagine myself there. Do you ever do that when you read the Bible? I, and if you don't, I'll just encourage you to try it. Just imagine yourself there. 
imagine what it was, maybe the smell and the feel, you know, something when you, if you've traveled overseas, you can't come back and necessarily explain it to someone like you can't explain the smells when you stepped off the plane in uh, wherever, Haiti. There are all those different kind of things, but I try when I'm reading the Bible, I try and put myself in this position. When you read the scripture, see yourself there, the atmosphere, the people, all of those things. It helps. But in, in Mark chapter 1, we have this story. Uh, starting with, Let's start with verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out, up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, Jesus did, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. And this voice said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Jesus gets wet. He comes out of the water and he sees basically the heavens open. He hears this voice. And not only he heard this voice, but it echoed across the landscape. You are my beloved son. And in you, I am well pleased. I don't know a person on the planet. I don't care how old they are. You could be 70 years old. And every seven-year-old man wishes that his dad would have said those kind of things to him. I'm telling you what. And if someone says they don't care about that, they're lying. I've lived too long and I've seen too much. And people have this thing built on the inside of them to hear a dad say those kind of words that not only are you loved, but I'm pleased with you. Two completely different things. Jesus comes up out of the water and hears these two things from his father. You're my beloved son. And in you, I'm well pleased. I'm happy with you. I'm joyful about you. And I love you. Here's what's interesting to me is the timing that he hears this. How many miracles had Jesus done at that, up to that time? How many people raised from the dead? How many disciples trained? How many loaves of bread broken into thousands of little pieces? How many demons cast out? How many walls walked through? Nothing, 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 nothing. He had not done one thing at that moment that would merit, in our minds, the kind of pleasure that is lavished on him right there from heaven. Yet he receives that. Because the pleasure of the Father has nothing to do with what we do. Pleasure from the Father and love from the Father has everything to do with who Jesus was. That's my boy. You read it in the message, it says it that way. That's, that's, my, that's my son. That's my boy. I am... He, he, he has captured my heart. I love him and I'm pleased with him. That's what Jesus hears. Before he does anything. Now, I ask questions when I'm reading the Bible. And here's one of them that I ask is, how did Jesus fulfill that calling to live a perfect life and to do the will of his father in a short period of time? 
The easy answer or the quick answer is, well, he's God. But he wasn't just God. You guys know that. He was man. He was fully man. He was fully God. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And he is, I believe, that this experience had a whole lot to do with how Jesus was able to fulfill his purpose on the earth, particularly the next three years from this moment. Because he knew he was loved and he was already pleasing to his father. And I tell you what, if you start there, that's a great place to start in ministry. To start knowing you're loved and you're already pleasing to your dad. So he starts there, so he's not doing anything to earn something. He's doing something because he's already received something from his dad, which enables him to be free from fear of man and everything else and to just follow his father and to do all of the will that his father had for him to do. That's the way for you and I to fulfill. You want to fulfill your purpose? Of course you do. Every person in here, you would not be here on a Friday night coming to something like this if you were not interested in fulfilling your purpose and doing what you were put on the planet to do and knowing God fully. So you want, you want to do that. And this is, I think, a huge key right here is that this Jesus knew that his dad loved him and was pleased with him. And the father, I think, has had uh, a very bad rap. In fact, I think he's been the most maligned person in the universe by far over time. Think about this for a second. I, I was, uh, years ago, I was reading the paper and remember those far side comic strips? Those are old. There's this far side for the younger generation. There's this old thing called far side. You can look it up in the annals of history. Annals of history. Sorry, I said that wrong. <laughs> you know what I meant. And uh, in this picture, the far side would be a drawing, a cartoon. You have some words or just one picture. And in the picture was supposedly God drawn from the backside so you could just see his flowing hair. And he's at his computer. He's got a keyboard. And there's this computer screen. On his computer screen is this poor pitiful creature walking it just you know down the sidewalk like the type of guy and above him is a grand piano on a rope tied with one rope and god is waiting for this guy to get underneath the piano and on his keyboard he's got a big button that says smite <laughs> and he's waiting for this guy to get underneath there so he can push the button and release the piano and squish him like a bug which is funny only because of how it is totally not the way it is. But that is in many ways how God has been viewed by people over time is he's looking for an opportunity to smite. He's looking for an opportunity to hurt. He's looking for an opportunity to harm. Is there anybody in here who's in the insurance industry? No one. I'm not going to pick on you. We have one person. Tell me if this is true. If there's a huge disaster that hits and many, many people die and all your stuff gets ruined, what is that called? It's called an act of God. That's, in, that's official. 
So anything that's bad that happens, that takes all your money and kills people, God did that. That's what's, that's how it's, that's what happens. That's how we've seen God in many ways. He's this, this creature that's distant and he's not near, he's not friendly and he's doing, he's always stirring up trouble and trying to hurt people and kill them and hit the smite button. I was, uh, when I was in school, of course, my tiny school I was telling you about, it was first through 12th. So country town, I started going there first grade and there was a long hallway first through sixth grade. And then there were these stairs that went down and on the left started the high school and the junior high and high school classes. And there was a teacher at the bottom of the stairs, kind of under half under the ground. He had these like these half windows and his name was Mr. Toll course you probably figured out what we called him was mr troll and appropriately so he had this super short military type haircut ripped mean and uh whenever the elementary kids would get too close like in front of his door making noise running those type of things Opening the door would be Mr. Troll, and he would say, You kids, knock it off! <laughs> Turn off class in here! So, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. So, I, I, the legend of the troll grew as I was growing, and you wanted to avoid him. I caught eye contact him once or twice, and it's like, No, you just keep moving. You're ready for him to chase you down and kill you. I mean, you, you just have that type of image of this guy. And uh, people are talking. Everybody knows that's his name. Everyone knows that. And I started to pray probably about fourth grade. May he retire. <laughs> or die or something. So that, because I know that he is a high school math teacher. Algebra, geometry, computer science. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be there. And he doesn't die. He doesn't retire. It's sixth grade. Then it's seventh grade. Then it's eighth grade. And then freshman year, algebra one. I get in the class. Oh, my goodness. I'm prepared. I just, I, to hate this class, what I'm prepared for. And, and then I'm, I'm lousy at algebra. I was an A student except for algebra, and I was a D student. A student, D. A student D. And I remember asking, Mr. Toll, have a question? And yes, Matt. I'd ask a question, and he would point to his chalkboard behind him. He had his chalkboard behind him, as every teacher does. But he had these five block letters that he had attached to the wall right above the chalkboard. And it said, T-H-I-N-K. Think. So I'd ask a question, and he would point to that. Big help. But by my sophomore year, I had to take Algebra 2, and then there's Geometry, so I can't get away from them, then Computer Science, and we had a lot of one-on-one. And by my probably sophomore year, I noticed that there were teacher's assistants that he had that chose to be there. And they seemed to like him. 
And I would, sometimes I would see that he would smile. And I would notice something, you know, with some students that he was kind to them. And then I even heard stories that during the summertime, when the teachers aren't working, he had this orchard with all of these apple trees and he would, and cherry trees, and he would hire some of the students. They work in his orchard and they loved him. And I thought there something's wrong with them. <clears throat> and by my senior year, here's what I realized. Every once in a while, when it got loud outside from the dumb elementary kids, Mr. Toll would step outside and quiet them down so that we could have class. What I realized is that kids wanted to be around them because he was helping them learn. I actually realized that he loved children. <laughs> He loved children and he was helping us. He was probably one of my best teachers because he did make us think rather than just give us answers. I saw his heart a few times and I was shocked and convicted because all of my life from first grade on, I'd heard the stories and the nicknames and I believed all the lies about him. When in reality, he wasn't a troll at all. He was probably one of the best teachers that was ever at that school. God is viewed that way oftentimes too. You can hear something through an experience or you know what? Sometimes that first through sixth grade experience that I had, sometimes that is a natural experience that people have with their natural dad growing up and he may not be the, the kindest person. Maybe you had a natural father and you had to walk around on eggshells because you didn't know what he was going to say or what he was going to do. You didn't know if he was going to come home drunk or sober. You didn't know if he was going to be angry and you're getting the stick for no reason or the belt or whatever the case might be. And so those things play into how we view God. You guys know this. But all those things, the Lord wants to undo. The Spirit wants to undo those thought processes so we don't... See him that way. When Jesus came on the scene, you guys know the, the atmosphere. The atmosphere when Jesus came on the scene, think about this for a second, is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had basically filled the void of leadership in the religious church. They set the rules. They provided the leadership. They had these flowing gowns. They... Uh, prayed out loud so everybody could hear them. They basically were the ones who set the tone for what God is like. And people at that point felt as though, I'm sure, most of them anyway, that God was distant, that he was not concerned, that he was punitive, that he was harsh, all of those things. And Jesus, in the perfect time is born, comes into that environment. And he comes into that environment, and I believe that one of the most beautiful and wonderful things about Jesus, although everything is about him, but one of the most beautiful and wonderful things is that he came to show us what his father is really like. Not just to pay for our sins and to set us free. He came to do something that had never been done before. Who better could explain and demonstrate and show what the father's like than the son who's been with him all this time? So Jesus comes, and if you read, as you read the Bible, as you read the Gospels, if you could read through that lens sometimes, 
that here is a son who is showing us what his dad's like. It's interesting the things that you will see in the scripture that will just jump out of the page at you. And Jesus too, he wasn't, he wasn't someone who was just showing us his power so that we would know he was God. Jesus came to give away his power so that we could be like him. In the same way, he didn't come as the son of man, which he called himself over and over and over, or the son of God, as other people called him as well. He didn't just come as the son of God. He came to show us how to live as a son and a daughter and how to relate to the father. I love that about Jesus. I've got, as you know, five people who call me Papa in my life. No one else does. Something, you know, my official name is not Papa. I don't know if you knew that. It's actually Matthew James Peterson. That's my full name. Matthew James. So if one of my kids gets hurt, they fall in a ditch, they don't yell out, Matthew James Peterson, would you come help me? Calling me my proper name does not get me to respond any better to them. What they do is they call me the name that only five people on the planet can call me. They call me Papa. And they don't even have to say it right. Because when I hear their voice, I'm going to come running to help them out of whatever they're in. You know, when Jesus came on the planet... God, the Father, had been known as Jehovah, as Yahweh, as Adonai, as Jehovah Shammah, as Jehovah Jireh, as all of these, and the Lord of hosts, over and over and over, the Lord of hosts. Jesus comes and he takes all those names. He doesn't even talk about those names. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about this? Jesus comes and he starts saying, let me tell you about my dad. He calls him Father 125 times in the gospel. You've got Jesus referring to the Father as the Father. He sums everything up, all of the attributes of God and the things that God really does and the the ways that he really is, but he sums them up in a word that is, I think, one of the highest words that there is. Of course, Jesus has the the highest name that there is, but he sums everything up as a relational person who's a father. And it was short-circuiting the Pharisees. How dare you speak of God in a personal way? Because we've been talking about him in an impersonal way. How dare you call him father as if you were his son? They were furious. And Jesus is giving us, again, he's showing us how to live as a son and as a daughter. The language that Jesus brought that changed was the fa- calling him the father. He brought a, a new language to Um, relating to God. It was through a relationship. And that is when you and I really get this, our prayers will even change in the same way from God this and Lord that. When something happens in us where we really see who we are and who he really is for us, it's like Papa and Daddy come out. 
because it sums up everything. We used to, when I was leading the school, we had, uh, we had some students one time who got a hold of this revelation that if you, if you call God by the name that he really wants to be called by, which was Yahweh, which that's, there aren't even any vowels um, in the original text there, so no one even knows how to say that. But they had this revelation that if you called him by this certain name that he really wanted, like Yahweh, then you had special access to God. That's craziness. You have access to God because of who you are as a son or daughter. In fact, I think the greatest name to call God is the Father. And I think your greatest title is as a son and a daughter. That sets you apart from everybody else on the planet. If you stripped everything else away from who you are, your jobs, your titles, PhD, masters, everything else, you are a son or you're a daughter and no one can change that. And that's the highest thing. You have full access in all of the house. You've got it all in the house. Jesus, in his last prayer in John 17, says this. He's praying. We get this, it's amazing. We get this glimpse of Jesus praying his last prayer. And he says, I have made your name known to them. He's talking to his dad. This is in the Amplified. And I've revealed your character and your very self. See, in the Hebrew culture, the name had a whole lot to do with um, what the person was like. And Jesus is saying, I've made your name known to them. He's saying, I've made your nature known to them. Not just your name. I've, I've been telling them about you as dad. And I will continue to make you known that the love which you have bestowed upon me may be in them, felt in their hearts, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is saying, I've been revealing your nature to them so that they can feel the kind of love that I feel. I want them to know your nature so they will realize they are so loved. And that love will cause them to be unstoppable as well. That's Jesus' prayer here in John 17. He was constantly about that business. In John 14, he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak from my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does these works. In Hebrews 1, we see... Uh, it written that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So as Jesus acts and as he lives, that's how the Father is. That's what he's like. He's the same way. They are, they're one. When I uh, go to, when I go home to Oregon here and there, I don't go back very often, especially with my family. It's a long trip and it costs a lot to fly seven people anywhere. But when I go, I, uh, there's something that I do. You know, I, my dad is an interesting person in many ways. He was like he was born out of time, though I'm thankful he was born when he was, or I wouldn't be born. But he's like this pioneer guy. Let me give you an example. He one time took a flight to Alaska and went 200 miles past the last road, and they dropped him off for a month with his rifle and his little tent and some dried food. 
and that's fun to him. <laughs> now, I love the outdoors. That's a long time, a month. The airplane would fly by once a week, and if he had a certain color tarp out, that meant, come get me. And if he just had, didn't have anything out, then they'd just wait another week. So anyway, this wonderful dad of mine is a pioneer. He's tough. He's rough. He's solid. And uh, he's a hunter and he's a fisherman. And he used to get me up at 4.30 in the morning during hunting season, which is right around now. This time of year, I always start feeling hunty. I just want to go. That's because my dad used to get me up at 4.30 and we'd go through the night in the truck up to some mountain and then we'd start walking through the dark with our packs on and our rifles to get to the right spot by the time the sun begins to come up. And hopefully you can spot an elk or a deer or whatever we're hunting for. And, you know, that in the beginning was, a, was rough and I had asthma. And I remember walking through snow. And I, I was a late bloomer as well. So I'm 12 years old, carrying this rifle, carrying this pack, and I'm, I weigh about 80 pounds. And I have asthma. And I remember just stepping in his steps in the dark. And then this asthma would hit me, and we'd stop, and he'd just wait for me. And he'd pray for me. He'd just wait. And I'm <laughs> inhaler. Kind of takes away from the hunting feel. <laughs> and then I'd get better and we'd take off again. And then we'd have these special things in our packs, along with Snickers. But food that we wrapped in tinfoil. And at lunchtime, he'd build a fire and we'd make these little things up in the middle of these Eagle Cat mountain range at eight or 9,000 feet. And seeing all these animals and coyotes and bears and all these, I mean, it was just in the beauty and the sunrises and the clouds and the canyons and the trees and all of these amazing things in the rivers. It was a great growing up experience. So much so that when I go back and visit, what I do is I say, Pop, that's what I call him, said, uh, let's get up early and let's go up in the mountains. Are you okay with that? And he's never said no yet. So I'm up there sometimes waking him up at 4.30. And we pile all our binoculars and guns and gear and snacks and junk food and all that stuff. And we pile in the truck and we take off and we have this great time together. And it's just like, it's like going back in time for me. And I so enjoy it. It's just like I feel like I come alive in the mountains. I just come alive. Here we see Jesus, one of my favorite scriptures is in Luke, it says, and Jesus often slipped away. You ever read that passage? He often slipped away. Think about this for a second. Jesus comes from heaven. He's the son of man here. And he often slips away. He was, at some point, Jesus began to remember all of the things that he had done with his dad through time, before time creating the like projects, like creating the universe together that they did. You know, Jesus was there. He was the one who did this with his dad. Huge projects, planets, things that we probably don't even know about or even any idea about beyond our universe. Who knows? They've been around a long time. 
so at some point, Jesus is growing up. He, I think he started having memories. This is, this is conjecture. This is my thoughts. But I think he is beginning to remember these experiences he had with his dad. In his dad's world. And then he remembers coming out of that water and hearing his dad say, That's my boy. I'm crazy about you. I'm pleased with you as well. And he's remembering these experiences that he had with him as well. All that together, Jesus is going through the earth, doing what he's supposed to be doing and not caring what other people think. Living large. And then he slips away. Hey, everybody, does a miracle maybe in the air. Everybody's turning. He takes off. Says he slipped away often. I don't know how he did it. That might have been one way he did it. I have no idea. It's not, it's not described. Maybe the first, right, maybe the first fireworks or something like that. I have no idea, but he slipped away. How does, how does the Son of God slip away when everyone is, maybe he just disappeared. You know, he could have done that. Just disappeared. Where'd he go? He slipped away. They're always looking for him. You see, the disciples are constantly looking for this guy. <laughs> they, they lose him. They lost him all the time. They did. And so Jesus is slipping away. And here's what I think. I think he is, it's just that, you know, my dad exposed me to his world when I was a little boy. And as I grew up, I couldn't wait to go back there with him. Jesus is here often slipping away to hang out with his dad. And again, here's the thing. He wasn't just showing us that he could do that. He was showing us so that we could do that. As we aren't just supposed to see the father as a good God. We are supposed to see him is that he is our father as well. And he has an entire world to experience with us and to show us. He wants us to, to experience what he loves. Have you ever asked him that? Papa, what do you love? What kind of things do you like? Would you take me into your world? I think Jesus was doing that constantly with his father. Turn to Luke 15, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. A story that you guys all know, but I want to read some of this anyway, starting with verse 11. And again, Jesus is having these experiences with the Father. He's remembering the things that he had done with his Father. And then one of the things is he's constantly talking about his dad. He tells this story which is one of the most beautiful stories. It's in, in my Bible, at least, it's called the prodigal son. But I think they misnamed it, by the way. This is, that's my opinion, my humble opinion. In verse 11, it says this, And he said, this is Jesus telling the story, A man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So the father divided his wealth between them. Verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. He was screwing around. He was drinking a bunch. He was partying. And I'm sure he had a lot of friends when you have money and you're buying booze and messing around. Loose living. Verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, it's all gone. It's an entire inheritance. A severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished, hungry, starving. 
Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now again, look at the context of this. Jesus as a Jew talking about this kind of a story when you mention when he mentioned swine what kind of feeling does that arouse inside of other jewish people this is in other words this is like the most uh this is a creature that you don't want to be around this is this is not uh a promotion here this is a bad thing this is a hated animal here Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. Not just to be around him, but this, this Jewish kid would have enjoyed even had, having the food that a swine was eating. And no one was giving anything to him. He was suffering. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, I love that. Have you ever done that? Come to your senses at some point in your life. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Why am I drinking this? This happened to him. And he came to his senses. He said, he started talking to himself. You know, that happens if you're feeding swine and no one will talk to you or give you anything and you smell horrible. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? And he continues with a conversation with himself. I will get up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up out of here. I'm going to go to my father and I will say to him, have you ever practiced a speech that you're going to give someone? I've done that many, many times and it never goes the way that I think it's going to go. He's practicing a speech for his dad. He says, I'm I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm getting out of this pig slop. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. You guys know this is such a beautiful part here. But while he was still a long way off, he was a long way off. His father saw him, which meant what? He was looking for him. He sees him from a great distance. And he felt compassion for him. The first emotion from the father in this context is compassion. It's not anger. It's not, I hope you still have some money left. The first feeling, the first emotion in the father is compassion. And he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. Now, let me just stop there for one second. I was driving one time. I'd help some folks move in Florida. And I was driving home back to North Carolina. And I'm, uh, at that point, I used to, well, I still do this sometimes. I still pick up hitchhikers if I feel good about it. And at this point, I was driving up the road, and there was a truck broke down on the side of the road. And there was a guy walking about 30 yards in front of the truck. So in my mind, this was his truck, and he ran out of gas probably, and he's probably you know, headed for some gasoline. So I pulled over in front of this guy and he opened the door and threw his bag in. And as he sat down, this odor came in with him that was one of the worst smells I've ever smelled in my life. And then I looked at him 
and his pants were white with that sweat salt. You know what I'm talking about? When you sweat a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, and it dries. His pants were crusty white with this in dirt. And I said, what, what's wrong with your truck? He said, that's not my truck. He, just, he would just happen to be walking by it right at that moment. I said, oh. And uh, so we get going, and uh, he's, uh, I'm sure has probably, I mean, I'm guessing, speculation here, that he hasn't bathed in a year or so, somewhere, something like that. He's a homeless person, and he just wanders around. And so I asked him, you know, where do you, where do you want to get dropped off? And he said, there's a road that goes this way, and there's a road that goes that way, right there. Well, that only describes about 200 different places that we're going to pass all the way up I-95. And we had this long time together, and he smelled so bad that I had to turn my AC up full blast, as high as it would go, and I pointed both vents at my face so that I wouldn't puke. That's honest truth. And there's a little lot more to the story. But anyway, what I'm saying is his, not only were his clothes filthy, but his skin was crusty. Now, I want you to think about that for a second with this boy who has been working with pigs for who knows how long. And this is pre-deodorant days. This is pre-shampoo. And who knows, this is pre-shower. And bathtub. This is a long time ago. And he's been out with pigs and they're not even giving him food. Do you think they're giving him something to bathe with? Who knows what he smelled like? And he just walked a journey. What do you think he looked like? What do you think he smelled like? Do you think that that aroma was preceding him? Of what he smelled like. And here we have the father running. He doesn't walk. He runs to him. And it says, he ran and embraced him. He grabbed him, went right through the smell and grabbed him and kissed him. He put his clean, tender, moist lips on his son who was filthy. And he starts kissing him. And he's holding him. And the son, I'm sure the son was undone. He probably, he wasn't ready for that. Remember, he's got his speech memorized. And he's going to get to the house. He doesn't even make it to the house. Dad comes full blast. And he wraps him up and he's kissing on him. How uncomfortable. When you don't have that in your brain, that that's going to happen. You're not prepared for that. And then he gathers himself, the son enough, and he starts his speech. Even though he's not in the house, his dad has come to him. So he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called something. Your son. His speech ends right there. You know why? Because the father can't handle that any longer. And he interrupts his repentance. He stops it right there. 
There's no more repentance. He says, the father jumps in and says, but the father says to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He's saying, I've had enough when you say you're no longer worthy to be my son because there's nothing that can change you being my boy. Now, again, this is the father talking. This is Jesus talking about the father. This is Jesus. You want to know what the father is like? Here it is right here. Here's Jesus in red talking about this father, which represents our father. I have no doubt about that. And you want to know what he feels like when we are in a wrong place, we're in a bad place, when we've, we've blown money on the wrong things. Even our, our entire inheritance. And the first time that he sees him, compassion is the first thing that comes up out of his heart. And then his feet start moving. And he begins to run right at him and he starts kissing all over dirt. And then as the boy starts to repent, he interrupts his repentance. I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the scriptures right there. He doesn't let this guy beat himself up. He hears part of his heart and he just goes right in there and he says, he's like, stop. What do you mean you're longer worthy to be my son? Where's the robe? You are my boy. It doesn't matter what you've done. Where are the sandals? Where's the ring? Let's have a party. Quickly bring out the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. You know something that to me is super sad about the story? And this is part of the reason why I want to talk about this tonight. The saddest part to me is not that he wasted his inheritance. Although that's not a good thing. The saddest part to me isn't the life that he lived while he was apart. Here is the part that just messes me up as a dad. And I think that the father feels as well is this. This son did not know his dad, though he'd been in the same house with him his whole life. He'd been in the house with him his whole life. When that boy was coming home, he had his speech memorized and his highest expectation, the, it would have been a, a big day, Super Bowl type day, if his dad would have let him become a slave in his household and he could eat bread again and had a place to sleep. That was, I mean, that boy's going, his, the highest expectation is that he would become a slave, not a son, that he would have food for his stomach. That's it. I mean, that would have been the best day. The father runs right through that expectation and says, "Not what are you talking about? He didn't even get to slave words. He didn't even get that far. He interrupts that part and wraps him up with his robe and starts doing all these wonderful things for him. And this son had to be undone saying, I had no idea that my dad was like this. 
When I think about that, I think about this. How many of us, how many believers have been in the house of God all of our lives or much of our lives? And yet we may not really know what the father is really like and how he responds to us on a, on the daily basis, what he thinks about us every moment. There's a Psalm 139 says, uh, David is writing this and he says that, how could I, the, the sum of your thoughts, if I could count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. The sum of his thoughts toward him personally. Do you ever try to count a handful of sand? I mean, it starts falling through, first off. You could spend all day trying to count one handful of sand. What about two handfuls? Or five tons or a thousand tons? Or what about the sand that's all over the planet? Pebbles of sand to David represented a thought that his father had for him. David could live a new covenant type of life because he understood that he had a father and his father was love and loved him like crazy. David transcended the covenant he was under because of the way he saw his dad. Amazing to me. He's always thinking about us. And throughout the scriptures, the father has not been this ogre. He's not been this person that is trying to hurt us. In fact, you look at like Ezekiel 18 says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Anyone who dies. Not a bad person. Horrible person. No, a, a completely evil person. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Therefore, repent and live. That's this old covenant. In 2 Peter, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. His heart is for everybody to know him, to repent, to be free. I want to read one more scripture here. Let me say this first, that I had an experience one time with my, my son, my oldest son again, um, where it was an early Saturday morning and I went outside to plant a garden. It was cold. It was early. I bought these little raised beds. I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm out there mixing manure with dirt, bare hands, manure with dirt. And all of a sudden I hear the door open behind me and then close. And here comes my seven-year-old son. Instead of playing video games where it's warm, he ran outside And he says, what are you doing, Papa? I said, I'm mixing poop with dirt. (laughs) Little boys like that kind of stuff. And I see him and he kneels down next to me as I'm kneeling down. And he rolls up his sleeves and he says, can I do this with you? Can you show me how? So I'm showing him how. And I'm just amazed. I'm not saying anything other than I'm thinking his brothers are inside playing video games. He's out here kneeling in the dirt with me in the poop and he's getting his hands dirty and I'm, I'm, and then he stops. I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. He said, Papa, you're a great dad. Now, I don't know where that came from, but I was like, Oh, it's hot out here, man. Aren't you sweating too? 
messed up my heart. Because he wanted to be where I was, regardless of what I was doing. I catch a glimpse of my kids sometimes, and they don't know it necessarily, but I just like smile this big on the inside. I want to think of them. It messes me up. I think about them being born. I can remember each of them, five, being born, holding them. See these babies around here. There's nothing like a baby. That's my kid. I see him walking the halls at school sometimes. My heart swells. I'm thinking about those guys. And if I am, what, what do you think the Lord is like when he thinks of you? He's, he catches a glimpse of you. Can't wait to be close to you. Can't wait to be around you. Would love for you to love to be in his world. You know, there's some things that the father isn't going to say. Just like I won't necessarily say that to my kids, but I desire it. And I had this sneaky feeling that the Father would love for you to see him as a papa and to go into his world. Not just to believe that he is loved and that he's a good God, but to dive into his world. And as we do that, I think that confidence comes on the inside of us and there's It's like the whole house gets set in order because everything is rightly related. I'm aligned right with heaven. There's something, this relationship with my father that just erupts in a great way. We read this last verse. It says, and you know this is out of Romans chapter 8. It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. There's a cry, it says here in Romans, of someone who realizes that they're adopted by this great father. And that they're his and they're in the family and their greatest title is now a son or a daughter. Something emerges from the inside of them and it comes out. that They can't even explain. There's a, what the Bible says here, there is a spirit of adoption. That you feel, that you know, I'm in the family, I've got the run of the house. He thinks about me all the time. He's not upset with me. I can be myself. I can go for it. I can make mistakes and I'm not going to get whacked and cut in half. There's that type of feeling that you and I are supposed to have. Where we know we're adopted. We know this father's crazy about us. And we can live all the way free. That's what we're called to, is that type of freedom, having that spirit of adoption. Imagine for a moment if there was this child and she has no idea how she got there, but she's in an orphanage. And all she's heard are different stories. She grows up several years in this orphanage, doesn't know anything about belonging or being loved or having kind words said to her or being held. And imagine one day there's a knock on the door of that orphanage and there's a man there and he calls by name this girl and says, you don't know this, but I've been looking for you your whole life. You were taken from me and I am here and I'm your father. I want to provide for you the rest of your life. I want to love you and hold you. 
I mean, if, the, if this story were true and this girl could believe that that seems too good to be true, but if she could believe that it was true, this is really my dad. He's been looking for me my whole life. He's been thinking about me my whole life. He's been searching for me. And now I get to go into this house that he has and have all of these things, food and a bed and clothing and all of those things. Something would emerge out of this little girl that would be this kind of a Abba Father. That's, that, that's the, like the connotation of the feel behind this when Paul's writing this to the Romans. There's this eruption on the inside. We realize what we have and that he's been pursuing us and loving us before we ever could love him in return, before we ever even realized it or knew it, he's been there. And this thing emerges and it erupts. And so I then, as a believer and as a son or daughter, I change from being a person who's trying to be a good person to please God. I change to someone who is already pleasing to God. And now I can be a son and an ambassador in the light of the world. And I can have confidence in who I am. It took me, I hate to say this, but I'm just going to be honest. It took me till I was 40 years old before I wasn't living to a man or the, uh, not the pleasures in the right word, but the approval of other people. Man, that's a long time. I should have learned this before that. I didn't necessarily feel that spirit of adoption where he loves me. It doesn't matter who doesn't like me. It doesn't matter if a senior leader thinks something lousy about you. Where that could just go, where it doesn't matter. I needed this spirit of adoption. I want to pray for you guys tonight. I want to close this. And I just want to, Paul says there's a spirit of adoption. If you've never felt like you're really in the family, you're like maybe you felt, maybe you've never even had this conscious thought, but maybe you felt like you're a little bit on the outside, hoping God likes you enough to let you in. Hoping that he's going to continue to be good to you, but you're not fully sure that he's like crazy about you. If you've never had the realization that God is crazy about you, that the Father is your Father, and He's been pursuing you from before time began, and preparing for you to be alive, and making a way for you to be free, and live with Him forever. If you've never really come to that realization, now you can have an experience that's, that's salvation, absolutely, and you can still miss this part of realizing, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. It's beyond just believing in Jesus. It's realizing who you are that he's made you to be and that you're in. That you're not rejected. There's a big difference when we don't have a spirit of rejection on us any longer. We're not wondering what God is really like or what he's thinking about us. And if you have never felt that, if there's, and I say it's, it's, it's a feeling, but it's a knowing. It's a crying out, oh my goodness, this is better than I ever imagined type of thing. I just want to pray for you. So if, that, if you do feel that, I would like to ask you to stand though. If you, if you would like me to pray for you in that area. If, if not, that's fine. But I just want to pray and ask the Lord to give you that spirit of adoption 
that you would receive it. That's what it says here. We've received the spirit of adoption so that you would no longer ever feel an orphan in any way, shape, or form. And you, and you wouldn't even second guess, what does Papa think about me today? All right. Lord, I want to just thank you right now that you want every one of your kids to feel so loved and to feel so taken care of and to feel so pursued. And Lord, I ask for all of these right now that they would feel what Paul described right here to the Romans. That they would receive and know that they are adopted fully into this family. And that their father is crazy about them. Is in love with them. Wants to take them into his world. And to experience those things. So Papa, I ask even right now. By your spirit, did you release your spirit of adoption? That they would receive it right now in their hearts. All of the way. Undo and unravel all of the things and the lies that the enemy has ever said to them about you, God, that wasn't true. We just ask, Lord, that all those would fall to the ground right now. And that your wonderful, loving, tender, joyful, beautiful, warm spirit would wrap around their hearts and would fully bring them in where they feel all the way yours. And I just ask, Lord, for a renewal of their minds with the spirit of adoption, that they would feel and know that their their minds are being renewed to think and to then behave as a son, as a daughter, without hesitation, in confidence, waking up in the morning knowing I'm loved and he is pleased with me. Going to bed at night knowing I'm loved and he's pleased with me. In the middle of the day, having made mistakes knowing I'm adopted, I'm in, I can't get out, I'm in. Nothing can separate me from this love. I ask that you do that for each of these right now. In Jesus' name, release even right now. If we could just stretch out our hands toward them. If you're close by and if they're okay with it, maybe just touch them on the shoulder or the arm. And just pray a release. Go ahead and just pray for them right now. Just pray for a release of the Spirit of God and that Spirit of adoption that they would feel all the way. Thank you, Lord. Pray everything that's in your spirit right now just to bless them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do what no one else can do. Bring them in all the way. May they feel all the way in. Not just in, but they would have, they'd feel like they've got a key to the house. They've got a key to the house. They are not only saved, they're not going to live eternally. But they are, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, they are one with God. Jesus, that they would feel the love that you felt. That was your prayer. That these here standing would feel the love that you felt and that you feel from your Father. They would feel that right now. Release that brand of love, that level of love from heaven. 
for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May that Abba Father rise up in them at night as they worship, when they're by themselves, when they're with other people, this knowing that they're loved all the way. In Jesus' name, amen.